Welcome to the Cadenza Podcast, Sounds Edition. I'm your host, Tim Harrison. On this episode of Cadenza Sounds, I sit down for a conversation with Rob Dixon, the creator and organizer of the charitable organization Harmonies for Hope. Rob Dixon has been a friend of mine since first meeting through a former place of employment nearly 11 years ago. A seasoned technology sales leader and executive, Rob has been developing relationships with customers and partners throughout the industry for enterprise and service providers for nearly 20 years. Prior to his involvement in technology sales, Rob was a professional tennis player competing throughout the United States and Germany. I recently had lunch with Rob to catch up and wanted to tell him about my desire to find a way to raise money to support refugee resettlement. It turned out we'd both been moved to try and make a difference in our own way around the same time, and knowing the elements of my personal background and history, he wanted to share his ideas with me. Throughout our conversation, it became obvious that we could learn a lot from one another, and we've kept in touch regarding our progress. I sat down with Rob to talk about his musical history, his fascination with busking, his interaction with the homeless of Toronto, and how that had led him to start his charity, Harmonies for Hope. Recorded on April 20th, 2017, in the canteen at Privet Studios, here is my conversation with Rob Dixon. All right, Rob. Welcome to Privet Studios. Uh, Thank you. In, uh, in wonderful downtown, rainy downtown Toronto this morning. Um, you and I have known each other for, ooh, what, uh, are we at uh, 10 years now, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, yeah right about then. Maybe even 11. Yeah. yeah. Um, you uh, you started at uh, the company where I had been working for a while, and mm-hmm. we sat near one another, and uh, <laughs> others became uh, targets of our of our mockery, and uh, and uh, and uh, just a little in in pleasant ways. Of course, we were we were always very friendly, um, and uh, we've kept in touch ever since. Um, uh, one of these days, you're going to take me uh, playing tennis. Uh, right. You're from your former tennis pro days. Yeah. Um, uh, for those who have not met uh, Rob, he's uh, uh, he's a fairly tall, uh, lanky individual who had some uh, some days playing uh, professional tennis in the United States and uh, not in Canada, just in the U.S. U.S. and Germany. U.S. and yep. Germany. Okay, great. Uh, and I am not uh, lanky and nor a professional tennis player, so I think it might be an interesting match. Um, you call it a match, yes, tennis mm-hmm. match. So there's my my ignorance. Perfect of, <laughs> ignorance of sports. Um, and uh, Rob, you eventually moved on to uh, to a different role, uh, as did I. And uh, we've kept in touch. And one thing that uh, that sort of uh, brought us back together again was uh, your your interest and love of music, as as mine. And uh, you introduced me to a fellow by the name of Mike Jansen, who is uh, someone from uh, from your church, uh, who is a, a jazz pianist and singer. Uh, very amazing, and a Juno-nominated singer. His uh, mm-hmm. his most recent album was uh, Juno-nominated this year, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, plays with uh, Larnell Lewis and uh, George Kohler. 
and uh, you uh, you've dragged me along to many a gig, which is great, and I'm I'm very happy in that. And uh, and we were speaking about charity organizations at one point, where I had mentioned that I was starting the New Shores Project, um, and you said that you had already uh, looked at starting something mm-hmm. um, related to music, which is great. Um, so um, so let's talk about your introduction to music. What got you uh, into music? And uh, and you you play guitar. Uh, which is great, and, and uh, I am a terrible guitarist, so I'm glad there's somebody else who can play guitar. Uh, but uh, tell me about your uh, your early music experiences and, and what brought you to uh, to playing. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, if I go way back, I as a kid, maybe 10 to 15 years old, I started with playing piano. Um, in the early days of that, I really didn't like it. I was being trained in, like, conservatory classical piano a lot of theory um i i just found it quite boring and it was a real you know battle between my parents and i to get me to practice um i switched teachers at one point and 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 ended up with a teacher who was more inclined to just let me play kind of pop songs i remember having a book of um movie theme songs which was that was a lot more engaging for me and i enjoyed that uh, but I didn't really stick with piano uh, all that long. But I, you know, I, I learned. I, le- I mean, I did learn about music theory and reading music, and um, I just have always enjoyed music. But I guess when I got a little bit more focused on sports and, in particular, tennis, um, piano fell victim to that a little bit. And then, when I was, I'm going to say about 20. Um, I was a summer intern, uh, and a colleague of mine who was also a summer intern, we, we worked, we shared an office and became really good friends. And he was really into guitar. He was a very talented guitarist, and he was 20, and he already owned like a bunch of really nice acoustic guitars and played them beautifully. And um, I kind of dabbled on piano a little bit, and um, he he impressed upon me how easy it was at the time and really still is or it's even become easier to get kind of simplified music to to play guitar and he kind of, he was like you know if you learn three or four chords you, you there's so much you can play and and he he was um printing off at the office tabs from Olga if you're familiar with it the online guitar archive which I don't even know if it still exists it probably does if it does I don't know if it's kept up to date because there's other means of getting guitar music now. I have a three-inch binder of printouts from Olga, and they're all date-stamped, and they're literally date-stamped from that summer that we were, like, we would stay at the office late and just fire off many, many songs. Um, but he didn't teach me anything on guitar. I was actually, I was playing some piano uh, out of a Garth Brooks music book, and I, I'm kind of into country as well, and... Um, on the piano sheet music, it had the guitar chords above, as as is often the case. And my dad actually plays guitar as well. I I haven't, I didn't really have much exposure to him playing guitar, but I I knew that he did. And I asked him one day. I said, Dad, can you show me these chords for this song? I can't even remember which song it was by Garth, but um, it, it was three or four simple chords. Uh, and that was that was literally the first time I other than probably a kid strumming a guitar with with no sense of chords or anything. That was the first time that I intentionally played a guitar. And I remember to this day, and I've I've introduced a few others to guitar, and I've kind of watched it evolve, how slowly 
you move the fingers in between chords at the beginning and what a struggle it is. Like, it's not that difficult to put your fingers in one position and strum and make a clean sound, but to switch in between, obviously a challenge for everyone at the beginning. Um, But with all this music and and simple versions of songs with three or four chords, it, it was pretty easy to be able to play a decent song fairly quickly and that it was that made it easy to kind of stick with it it was it was like there was a lot of kind of quick success and it just kind of went from there and then I guess I was playing I think I was playing a guitar that my parents had given to my brother when he was a kid because he wanted to try guitar but never really stuck with it and I think by that Christmas um, I was given my first acoustic guitar or money to buy my first guitar. And then my dad and I went to the store and kind of picked it out. Um, and then, I, I mean, it, aside from playing sports and particularly tennis all the time, guitar became my number one hobby outside of, I was still in university, so I had to focus on school and focus on tennis. Um, but I was just playing guitar whenever I had time. Like I'd sit around my apartment and my friends knew that if they wandered into my place, I'd be sitting playing guitar, and they probably got annoyed hearing the same songs over and over again. Um, Do you remember what kind of guitar it was? Yeah, it was a Fender, um, acoustic electric, and um, I had it up until maybe four years ago, and it actually got stolen uh, from our church. Hmm. Um, And speaking of church, so, you know, I had stuck with guitar, uh, played it a lot mostly very kind of mainstream classic rock type songs. Um, and then when, uh, when we started going to this particular church, um, there's a lot of contemporary music played in the church. So you typically a pianist, an acoustic guitar, a bass guitar, maybe some sort of percussion and some vocalists and tons of musical talent in the church. Uh, largely led by Mike Jansen, who you mentioned earlier. And, um, um, you know, I after being in the church for a while and making it known that I played guitar, I, I wasn't... I was a little intimidated, actually, because there's so many talented musicians. But, um, you know, I kind of gently made it known that I'd be interested or willing to participate. And then I got invited to do so and, and got into... A, you know, I've been in a rhythm for several years now of playing... Sometimes it was maybe as frequent as once a month and sometimes every couple months, just depending on my availability and how many guitarists there were kind of in the mix. Um, And that was cool because it was a genre of music that I was really starting to appreciate. Um, And it also was an opportunity to play with others, which is, I learned a huge challenge. It was very easy to sit around in my basement and play by myself and decide in my head how to start the song, how to end the song, how many verses and choruses and bridges to play, and suddenly to sort of tie in with others. I had one small taste of that. Um, I played two songs at my wedding, and I practiced with the band leading up to the wedding, and that was my introduction to having to sort of tie in with a band and be coordinated and start and end at the right time. Um, But that was kind of a one-off. Anyway, then in church... um, you know, started having frequent opportunities to do that, which was which was great. Um, and yeah, other than playing at my wedding and playing in church, um, I had maybe 
played once, twice at an open mic in Toronto. Um, and that was kind of my exposure to playing in front of other people. Um, but a, a few years ago, I guess two years ago, probably now-ish, like two years ago, um, was chatting with a colleague and um, somehow we got onto music and talking about um, different songs. And I just mentioned that I had always had a fascination with buskers. Um, and I, yeah, I was talking about a particular song that I'd heard. It was an original song being played by a busker when I had, when I was in Boston several years ago and I got in, I got in touch with the busker and he, he sent me the sheet music for his song and MP3 of it. And, uh, and I learned how to play it. Anyway, I was sort of telling this story to a friend and just kept harping on the fact that I really fascinated by buskers and would maybe like to try it myself, but hadn't really, you know, it was kind of a fascination that I hadn't really acted on. And she's just like, just do it. Like, why don't you just go and busk? So, um, yeah, that, like I said, that was probably like springtime two years ago. And then by that summer, um, one evening I just decided to pack up my guitar case and, or actually it was my sister-in-law's guitar case because she had lent me her guitar after mine was stolen. Mm. And it was quite a nice guitar, which probably stalled the process of me replacing mine because I had a, a very nice instrument to play. And I was appreciative of that. Um, so I went out to Young and Dundas Square um, thinking it was going to be the bustling hot spot on a, it was like a midweek evening, maybe 8 p.m. And, um, it was, I've learned now that Young and Dundas Square is very busy at rush hour and it gets busy late at night. And at 8 p.m. it wasn't that busy. Um, I think on weekends it might be kind of busy all the time. But, um, I, I opened up my guitar case and I stood there, excuse me, and I, um, it was a hot night, and I think I'd made a sign that said something like, uh, help me buy a drink, help me buy a cold drink or something. I can't remember what it, what it was. Um, and uh, I figured I would make some attempt to, you know, make people feel compelled to put some money in. Playing and, a role, uh, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I probably strummed my guitar for 15 minutes before I got the nerve up to start singing. Uh, and I don't really know why. Um, I don't know if I was sort of testing for 15 minutes to see if anyone was actually paying attention. Um, and anyway, I strummed for a while and then, um, and then I just started singing. And um, like I said, it was pretty quiet around Young and Dundas Square at the time. Um, you know, the odd person threw some money and funnily enough, someone gave me a bottle of water. It was kind of like, okay, so the sign almost, it was like it, I shot myself in the foot. <laughs> I wasn't really looking for a drink and someone thought they were doing me a favor by giving me a drink. Why lie? Uh, I need a beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I played there for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. A few people threw some money in. Of course, I started with some of my own money in the case to make it look like you'd been legitimate successful. and successful and something worth contributing to. And I've since learned that starting by putting a couple of bills in is 
a great idea because it kind of shows people that hey like it's okay to put a bill in as well wow. um yeah i played maybe half an hour 45 minutes i had a couple of people stopped and sort of said hello people dropped some money in um and i remember a homeless guy who stopped by and he tried to sell me some stuff um and another homeless guy stopped by just because he kind of appreciated the same music as me as i said a lot of kind of mainstream classic rock and he was like oh, do you, can you play this can you play that and most of what he was asking i i knew something by that artist and we kind of connected over that so that was that was neat um when you say uh, one homeless guy tried to sell you some stuff mm-hmm. are you referring to any particular stuff uh just goods N- nothing um like i think there were some headphones mm. and maybe pair of shoes or something like that wow. I, I can't quite remember and he was sort of working the cr- the, the small crowd and, and when i say crowd i don't mean a crowd around me uh but just the people who were in lingering the in, in the area yeah um unsuccessfully mm. uh trying to sell his his stuff so there's it sounds to me like there's a there's a pecking order and a culture in in that kind of scenario that there are people who are out there doing what they need to do and and in that, there's some people that have been there for a long time and have an experience and, and have a, a sense of the area and where they want to be. And, yeah. And you're sort of a newcomer you yeah. know, standing on the street for the first time taking this, this chance. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of sort of pecking order and people being familiar with the area, I, as you said that, I was remembering that that same night, because it's, it's the only night I went to Dundas Square because uh, I didn't find it to be the best place to busk. Uh, there was just maybe 10 feet beside me at one point, there was some conversation that I overheard about a drug deal and a territory. And there was a bit of a, I don't think it was a dispute between the the people that were there. I think it was, I think they were sort of on the same page and it was referring to maybe some others who were trying to encroach or something like that. And I, you know, it got me thinking a little bit like, I don't know, was, am I going to be in the middle of some like drug turf war. Um, But I kind of moved on for other, it just, it felt a bit, um, it just felt like I hadn't found the right location. Um, Not really knowing what the right location looked like or what my goal even was, because I wasn't really doing it for the money. Uh, It was definitely fun to just kind of stand there and play. I love to play music. And um, it was during Pan Am Games when Toronto was hosting Pan Am. And I knew that they were holding nightly events at um, Nathan Phillips Square. So I packed up and I wandered over to Nathan Phillips and I, 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 I've kind of made the assumption that as a busker, if there's something happening, it's probably not appropriate for me to be like right in the middle of it, but more on the periphery. So I, I, I stood in this, like, it was, it was actually a traffic island if that's the right and pedestrians would cross out of the square onto this little triangular island and then they're kind of stuck there and then they can cross in different directions like at bay and queen bay and queen and um and i learned there that when you're at a traffic light you you have a captive audience for 30 seconds you know and 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 they they might as well just kind of listen and appreciate you while they're standing there or, or completely ignore you and not make eye contact because they don't want to feel compelled to throw you any money. Um, so that was neat. And I, I went back a few times that week straight to that spot, like later in the evening, uh, knowing that, that these crowded events were, were letting out. And, um, and that was, 
that was cool. Like the, a little bit more money was flowing. Um, but similar to the first night at Dundas Square, uh, you know, there were more interactions with homeless people, uh, which was really cool. Um, because, I mean, I, I would say that historically I've been kind of neutral to homeless people. Like I certainly don't disrespect them or demean them. And I, you know, if I have some change, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to them. And, but I've never really, to that point, had never really ended up in a conversation of any sort with a homeless person and suddenly music became this kind of equalizer and they you know we appreciated the same music guys would stop by ask me to play a certain song they'd sing along with me they'd um you know some of them would ask for some money uh some of them just seemed to appreciate the company um, it's really lonely out there um and that was just kind of a neat completely unanticipated side benefit of of busking um i found another spot um outside of crocodile rock which has become a bit of my go-to spot um ironically i went there um thinking that my genre of music is tailored to a slightly older crowd than the young party crowd and i remembered i mean i when i was young i didn't live in Toronto or spend much time in Toronto. But I do remember that Crocodile Rock, at least my impression at the time, was that it catered to an older crowd. So I went there thinking, yeah, I'm going to go to Crocodile Rock and all these like people in their 40s are going to roll out and love my music, not realizing that Crocodile Rock has, has I guess, evolved into a, a younger target audience and you kind of hear club-type music inside. I mean, it's the facility itself isn't a club. It's It's more like a bar um but you know the music is is not music of 40 year old people um but i think my music is mainstream enough and i sort of figured out songs that still resonate with with that crowd um and that's been an amazing spot a lot of fun um you get you get people who come out so first of all, you get people who are in line when it's a busy night and they're, they're kind of, you know, they may be in line for 20 minutes and the sidewalk's fairly narrow. They're behind a rope. There's a space for people to walk by, but then you're close enough that you can engage with those people and they start to request songs and they're close enough that they can hit my guitar case with money. And um, uh, then you get people who come out for smoke breaks throughout the night and sometimes there's a repeat, you know, the person comes out and enjoys the music, chats, requests a song, throws in some money. They disappear inside for an hour. They come back out for their next smoke and there's that rapport and they, they kind of hang out again. Um, but the amazing thing at a location like that is at the end of the night, uh, if I choose to stay late enough, they all get thrown out. They're all pretty drunk they're finished spending money inside and they want to continue partying so i've had that corner packed with people um who just want to continue partying and the money really starts flowing at that point point. Uh, and i never set out to do it for the money and um early on I, as i was accumulating change in a jar basically and some cash um i just decided like I'm going to do something with this. I'm not quite sure what, um, but I'll just collect it all. I never really count. I, I would count it each night, 
just as a bit of an indicator of, of how the night went. Um, but I was never really keeping track of the accumulation of it. And to this day, I still haven't counted what I have. The jars became bigger and bigger. And the first summer I kind of kept the cash and just like put it in my wallet and spent it. And then I saved all the change. And then I was a bit mad at myself for doing that. Cause I kind of wished that I'd protected all that money. And last summer when I was out there, I kept every penny, every, every coin, every, every note. Um, but again, I've never, I haven't counted it yet. Um, and, uh, yeah, so those nights, if I stayed really late were, I mean, tons of fun. Like it was, it was just epic some nights. Um, so let me ask you about that, about mm-hmm. the, uh, the interaction that you have with the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never busked, but, uh, it, uh when, when these people come out, are you um, engaging them in conversation? Are they coming to you and are they really, uh, do you have problems with people being pushy? Uh, you know, are you, are you singing songs directly to them? Are you singing it to a crowd? Are you wandering about? How do you interact with, with a crowd and how do you adjust that based on the dynamics of that crowd? If people are really drunk and there's some belligerent people or yeah. you're, in, you're in a circumstance where you feel comfortable to, to get a little bit more animated, like how do you, um, how do you in, uh, interact with the crowd and engage them? My, my default position is to be, I mean, this is going to sound a bit unrealistic, but to be a little bit in the background, like I, I'm not really in their face. I mean, the, when people are in line at that particular location, I'll, you know, I'll kind of engage them or even if it's just making eye contact with them to draw them in a little bit, but it doesn't take much. I mean, again, my songs are mainstream enough that any song that I play, if there's a, if there are, you know, 20 people in line kind of in the immediate vicinity that can hear me, someone's going to kind of be into it. And, And I've learned to kind of, you can you can even if it's just noticing the one person who's kind of bouncing their head or tapping their foot um yeah you know i try sometimes it's tough when it's happening rapidly but i do try to like very intentionally thank everyone who throws anything in and kind of interrupt my singing and say thank you and um often uh, if if someone has kind of taken an interest and stopped and listened for you know, the balance of a song and throwing some money in, I'll, I'll ask them if there's anything specific they'd like to hear next. Um, I'm somewhat limited to songs that I know the chords and the uh, words for from start to finish because I, I do pull out my phone sometimes and search um, lyrics and what have you. Uh, and chords but um, so my my hit rate on requests some nights is terrible and some nights everything people ask for I know so it's like that feels really good and 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 when I'm saying no to everyone it it kind of feels a bit lame Um, but yeah in terms of engaging with the crowd I kind of let them come to me Um, in terms of obnoxious or belligerent behavior I haven't had many experiences where I've felt uncomfortable I can think of one time where there was a crowd kind of a you know a half circle around me and there was a guy trying to like sort of shove his way in there he was just really drunk and um being obnoxious and and the crowd kind of dealt with it themselves because not only like 
I was a bit annoyed by it, but they were also annoyed by it because they were just trying to sort of have a good time listening to music and he was interfering. There was one really satisfying moment. Um, a, a guy, this was last summer, he requested a song and I said, sorry, I don't know anything. I, like, I, knew, I can't remember who, who he was asking for. I said, I don't know anything by that artist at all. And he, he just like, he was really drunk and he made some harsh remark at me and I can't really remember what he said. There was definitely some foul language. And then about half an hour later, he'd gone back inside and about half an hour later, he got carried out by four bouncers, like one on each limb, basically. He was being incredibly belligerent with them. They threw him out and then another half hour later he kind of like resurfaced and came back and he had a few buddies with him and he was in the bouncer's face and a bit of a scrum kind of started and there's a pretty good police presence in that area and the police grabbed him and his buddies and tore them all away and then and um i'd sort of stopped for a break and maybe wandered down the street to grab a bite to eat or something and i just happened to be walking by a particular police car and it was the one that was like dealing with him and i was tempted to sort of say something to him. He probably wouldn't have even remembered me, but it was kind of satisfying to, um, you know, see this guy getting, I don't know, I'm sure he probably wasn't even charged or any, uh, he was just getting disciplined in some fashion, and I just thought, you know, he had it coming to him. But there karma. haven't been many moments like that. It's mm. pretty, I feel a bit invisible at times. Like, you know, you kind of, I'm kind of standing back observing a group of people, you, I mean, you can see at the end of the night in particular, these guys who are like clinging on to groups of girls and trying to, you know, make whatever happen. And uh, you see over the course of the evening, pairs of people leaving together and you can make up stories in your head. Like they may have met there or they may just be boyfriend and girlfriend and they're leaving together. And, and sometimes you can just tell from the dynamics you can make a few more assumptions and um, you see I've seen other hot-headed guys kind of in the line and then they get inside and then within the hour you know they're getting kicked out um, it's fun <laughs> it's yeah it's, it's a, a study in human behavior yeah recorded at the table of the canteen in Privet Studios here's Rob Dixon playing a solo acoustic version of Wonderwall by Oasis They're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out I'm sure you've heard it all before but you never really had a doubt I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now And all the roads we have to walk are winding And all the lights that light the way are blinding 
There are many things that I would like to say to you, but I don't know how. I said maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me. They'll never throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you're not to do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now And all the roads we have to walk are winding And all the lights that light the way are blinding there are many things that I would like to say to you, but I don't know how. I said maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me. Said maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me. And after all, you're my wonder That brings me to the invisibility thing that, that uh, you've mentioned a couple mm -hmm. of times and being sort of in the background and having a, a, a separation from what's going on around you mm -hmm. um, and to carry that forward into what you're looking to translate your busking experience into, mm -hmm. you know, the, the homeless or the, the, the um, indigent in the area, um, you know, are also sort of in the background or mm -hmm. have been. Uh, become transparent to those that are uh, having their, you know, very open and, and you know, out there experiences in, in yeah. club land or anywhere, you know, throughout the city uh, or throughout the country, indeed. Um, so that must give you a really unique perspective on what it's like to be in the background and mm -hmm. to be somewhat ignored, if you will, yeah. um, you know, from a from a safe perspective for you at least, because you can go home, but yeah. there are others that, that are out there that, that just can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely gives me insight into that. Uh, you know, I, as much as I'm there and I, I am sort of creating a scene by playing music and I, I, I do get ignored a lot and I, and I, and I, and I get on any given night, I get insulted. Um, one of my favorite songs to play is Wonderwall by Oasis, which is, very cliched and kind of every cover band plays that and every busker probably plays that and i probably play it if i if i'm out for a few hours i probably play it like a half dozen times and it, it for sure one of those times some drunk person will kind of wander by and go oh what a what a surprise a busker playing wonderwall you know and i'm like it's all good I, I just love to play it and by the way i tend to get a really good reaction from most people when i play it it's probably one of my i probably owe some royalties to uh, oasis because probably one of the bigger money makers but i won't tell them if you don't <laughs> thank you um 
we'll edit that out or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the you know standing on one street corner for several hours in a row during a busy time, uh, I've absolutely had the chance to observe homeless individuals kind of doing their thing and trying to, um, you know, ask for money in different ways, whether it's from me or from, from the rest of the crowd. Um, and I've watched, I've seen it all. I've, I've seen some people be really empathetic towards them. I've seen people give them a lot of money. I've seen people walk them down the street to get them a bite to eat. Um, I've seen people be very rude and belligerent to them. Um, so I've kind of, yeah, it's like a, I'm not going to go as far as to say like I've walked in their shoes because that's absolutely not the case. But, um, but there aren't many other situations where you would stand in one place in a busy street corner in downtown Toronto and get the chance to observe that. Um, so again, it was kind of an unexpected consequence of, of getting out there and doing this. And then, I mean, that leads me to still to this day, one of the cool, probably the coolest experience I had busking was, um, there was a guy one night and his name was Brad and I, I ended up getting to meet him and I'll kind of get to that. Um, but he was, he was kind of working the corner and the crowd. Um, his tactic, he, he was really savvy. Um, he never made anyone feel uncomfortable at all. He was very observant and he, he had a, he always had a cigarette lighter and he would see people pop out of the bar. And as he saw them pull a pack of cigarettes out of their pocket or wherever, he would, he'd just arrive. Like he would appear from out of nowhere with a lighter. They may have already had their own lighter or another means of lighting it, but suddenly he's kind of offered them this service and, um, he didn't, I, I never got the sense that he then asked people to give him any money, but he's just kind of like, I'm doing you a favor. And I think people realized pretty quickly, or if they engaged in a bit of conversation, what his circumstances might've been. And, um, you know, just felt a little more inclined to give him some money. And like I said, he never, he never asked. He never made people feel uncomfortable. He just kind of did a small favor and got some often money in return. Um, and then I'd been kind of observing him for that evening and he'd stopped by and chatted with me. He, you know, we, we liked similar music. Um, and, um, after kind of singing a few songs with me and asking me if I could play this song or that song, um, he, he said to me, would you let me play your guitar? And I was just, I just literally grabbed it off the strap off my back and was like, yeah, like, go ahead. And he's like, really? He goes, I haven't played a guitar in like 15 years. I, you know, I really miss it. And, um, so yeah, sure. Go ahead. And, and I, you know, I just kind of, I had already observed him a little bit. I, I, I felt like he legitimately just wanted to play my guitar and I trusted that that was his intention. So, um, he started playing and he started with, um, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi, right into that kind of intricate guitar intro. And I, and by the way, I, I'm a very average guitarist, and I, I don't pick at all. Like I'm not a lead guitarist. I'm a pure strummer. And he just nailed that intro. And if, if it's true that he hadn't played a guitar for 15 years, which I, I believe that to be true, it was just phenomenal. Um, you know, his singing was was a bit rough. His voice was, 
kind of hurting from a, a, a rough life. Um, but he played that, and then he went into other songs, and and then I just sang with him. And then there was this moment where people around us, you know, they kind of sensed what was happening and thought it was pretty cool. Um, and then after a few songs, he gave me the guitar back, and um, and I carried on playing, and he carried on lighting people's cigarettes and kind of engaging with people. He was a very engaging guy. And for the rest of the evening, he sort of stopped back in, and we chatted here and there between songs. And um, and then at the end of the night, or what I thought was the end of the night, it was after the bar had closed and the big crowd had come out and then dispersed. Um, I was packing up, and, and he... Brad had a lot of pride, um, but after spending several hours kind of on and off chatting with me, he he decided to ask. He's like, "Oh, like, could I have a bit of money?" And and I and it took and, and I, I got to know him a few more times, and I and I know that it took a lot for him to kind of ask that. Um, and I very casually was like, I just kind of like waved my arm at my guitar case, say, "Hey, yeah, just take whatever you want." And he's like, "No, I like." I'd rather you just gave me how much you want to give me type thing. And I, and I just then kind of like swiped a bunch of change out of the case and gave it to him and maybe eight to $10. I I don't really know. Um, so I gave that to him and then I continued packing up and then we just started walking together and chatting and I was kind of heading eastbound on Adelaide. Um, kind of felt that as long as I'm heading east, I'm, making my way closer to home and kind of enjoying chatting with this guy. We're connecting over music. We're connecting over um, the fact that we both have three kids, uh, even though other parts of our lives are obviously very different. Um, we just had some things in common. And we got a few blocks away and four drunk guys stopped us and they said, hey, we saw you earlier tonight. Were you playing guitar You know, a few blocks down together? And we're like, yeah, that was us. And uh, they said, can you open up the case and play again and we'll give you some more money? Um, so we opened up the case and one of them went into one of these late night burrito stores or poutine stores or whatever. And like, I don't know, stole slash borrowed a, a stool, brought it out and Brad sat on the stool playing guitar. And I stood next to him and we did a few songs I sang and... Um, these guys threw a bunch of money in, and in that moment, I was, I was like, I don't know what I want to raise money for, but I want to have some kind of a fundraiser where the entertainment is provided by folks like Brad, like really talented, excuse me, really talented homeless musicians. You know, Brad was amazing. I knew there had to be more out there. Didn't know how I would find them, uh, but I found Brad, and uh, I figured if I spent other time out there it would just sort of happen um so that's like two summers ago i kind of had that idea without a lot of details around it and then um i probably encountered brad another five times i, I figure I, m I met him like half a dozen times in total that summer um he would always stop by and chat i would always watch him engage with people like i said he was you know of all the homeless people that i saw working the crowd he 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 just had a knack for um you know making people feel at ease doing them this little favor to break the ice um i love chatting with him and uh always if you know offered him the chance to play my guitar and he he loved doing that um we 
chatted after I was done playing, maybe not every night. I mean, there were some nights where I was done and he was kind of nowhere to be seen. Um, anyway, it was about a half dozen times and, uh, yeah, I got to know him quite well. And, and I think for him, it, it, um, you know, just got gave him a chance to reconnect with music, um, and, and to, you know, maybe bring him back to happier times in his life, uh, which was pretty cool. And then, um, I guess that was around August, um, and my busking started to sort of taper off a little bit. And then when the weather got too cold, my busking just, you know, I called it quits for the season, which is an interesting thing to be able to do when, when you've sort of your awareness of the homeless has been raised. And that moment where I was kind of like, I'm not going to go busk anymore. Like it's it's not it's not fun it's not it's i'm not comfortable you know a piece fell off my guitar one night which i'm sure was weather related uh kind of the last cold night that i went out and that you know i, I was like it was interesting like i have the choice to just pack it away and not come out until the spring and uh you know there's thousands of people who just don't have that choice they don't know where they're going to sleep on a given night regardless of the weather conditions and that was a it put things in perspective for me so then we rolled into winter, and uh, one day I was sitting um, at my daughter's skating lesson, and there was a newspaper next to me. And I'm the last guy to pick up a newspaper and read it, but there was a, it was the Toronto Star, and it was the front section, and the entire above-the-fold part was a picture, basically. And the woman in the picture looked like a neighbor of mine. And that's what prompted me to pick up the paper and kind of be like, oh, what's Fiona up to? And, and then I, I opened up the whole, like, unfolded it and read the caption and it wasn't her um but it was a story about homeless deaths particularly uncounted homeless deaths and the fact that in the city in many places we have trouble keeping good statistics and if we don't have good statistics how do you actually solve the problem and address it and put services in place etc etc so i read the whole article but the the portion of the article that was on the front of the paper as in most cases was very small uh, and then w- even in reading that short section and it named a guy Brad uh, and there were even a couple little tidbits in there that he was a musician and I was like wow, this like starting to sound a little bit like Brad's story and it, from the half dozen times that I hung out with him particularly the very first night we walked for probably a couple hours together really late at night I mean I got the guy's life story Um, so just a couple tidbits started resonating with me. And then when I opened up, it was, it was then the center, the entire center spread of the front section of the Toronto star. And there was a picture of him and the picture was 20 years old and he had a mullet in the picture, which he did not have when I got to know him, but it was 100% him. Like I, I was convinced. So a lot of the article, uh, involved, interviews with his sister and some quotes from her her name's lee um so i started doing some research and trying to track down lee and uh and the brother peter was also referenced so brett so lee and peter were biological children of parents and brad was an adopted child so he was their adopted brother and i you know really quickly through facebook learned that i had a a mutual friend with Lee and a different mutual friend with Peter, the brother. 
and I first reached out to my mutual friends to kind of say, how well do you know these people? And, and it, But to even to enter into that, I kind of had to tell them a bit of the context. And now I'm kind of like, hey, I, like I, I busk sometimes and I met this guy while I'm, but like, and there are people that, I, one of them in particular, I had, wasn't really that much in touch with. And I'm just thinking like, she's getting this note from a guy she went to high school with and probably not every day that you hear someone has started busking and, you know, met this guy. Um, both responded and the kind of warmer response that I got that indicated um, a better likelihood of making a connection was, was the mutual friend with Brad's sister, Lee. So then I found Lee on Facebook and I, and I Facebook messaged her, um, you know, a message again, giving the context of, I was basically saying, I don't really know what your relationship was with your brother towards the end of his life. And, and by the way, I'm very sorry that he has passed away. Um, but uh, I got to know him a little bit this past summer and here's how I got to know him. It was through music and I just thought, you know, you might want to hear a little bit about it and, you know, no pressure. If, you, if, you, if you're not interested, that's fine. And if you are, like, I'm happy to talk and share that with you. And uh, by that evening, I was on the phone with her um, sharing more detail about how I had got the chance to get to know Brad and the time we'd spent together, albeit fairly brief. Um, and she wasn't very connected with him at that stage. Uh, he was her, her, her mother, th their mother was was in touch with him on and off, and you know aware of kind of his comings and goings, and uh, but but not that you know she, Lee was not uh, very closely connected with him at the time, so it was interesting for her to hear. Um, and and I've you know I've had the chance to get to know Lee, and I've met um, uh, their mother, and and I've met uh, one of Brad's three kids, um, and. You know, I, they're, it kind of makes them happy to, to have these images of Brad making a friend in his last few weeks and, and, and getting to play music and, as I said earlier, kind of reconnecting with a, a part of himself that was probably dormant for a long time. Um, so it, it was just amazing to be able to connect with them and to share that, uh, share you know, share my story of, of meeting him and connecting with him over music and over being, you know, fathers of three children. And as I said, some big differences in our lives and some big similarities as well. Um, and it was just really, it was a really cool experience. Um, and what, partly from their reaction to things and, and kind of, I, I'd never really thought of it this way, but, but Lee, you know, always says like you, you know, you, you helped him reconnect with a former passion. You, you reminded him of happier times in his life. And um, that that's when I started to have this idea of, well, if, if I had that opportunity with Brad, like maybe I could make that happen with some other people. And um, I thought it would be interesting to try and build a music program uh, to bring music opportunities to homeless people. I mean, I know... I. I mean, I didn't know for sure, but I think it was a pretty safe assumption that if there's one Brad out there, there's probably a bunch of Brads out there. Um, so I just kind of had this loosely formed idea that I would try and, you know, build up a little collection of musical instruments and sound equipment that I can take from place to place and, and go to shelters and drop-in centers and run little jam sessions for anyone who's interested. 
And as I started uh, connecting with locations around the city, um, I discovered that similar type programming does exist in some places, so it's not an entirely original idea. Um, and then there are other places that have nothing like it. And there are places that are desperate for good programming. And they're, they're so happy to think that I can, you know, I've kind of got this idea and I'll, I'll bring the instruments and I'll show up and I'll do it. And, and um, they just need to kind of provide space um, and, and promote it amongst their community. Um, so none of it's happened yet, but this is a, it's a, it's a plan that I kind of want to launch during uh, in the fall and and then this this ties back into the fundraiser so had the idea to hold some kind of a fundraiser to and 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 you know put some homeless talented musicians uh on stage um and those two ideas kind of came together and the idea is to to raise some money to help get this program off the ground now one of the first people i shared the idea with was mike jansen and um uh, you know, I, I thought I had a great idea and I knew there was a big logistical issue. Um, you know, if, if I'm relying on, let's say four or five entertainers for the evening and they lead a lifestyle candidly where they may or may not show up. Um, and I, I didn't really know how to get around that issue. And I was more approaching Mike cause he's a musician and he's played in various venues around the city. My, primary um, goal with him was how do I find a venue? How do I kind of plan an event? And, and But then I kind of threw this logistical question at him and he said, you need to meet Tim Huff. And he said, Tim's a really close friend of mine and he's worked with the homeless for 30 years and he plays in a band and he's held fundraisers and he'll love your idea. So he connected me to Tim. And this is all, I don't know, roughly a year ago or maybe even with the conversation with Mike might have been a year and a half ago, but I I met Tim maybe a little over a year ago. Um, and I shared the idea with Tim, and he loved the idea. But right away he said, love the idea. Uh, you need a band to anchor the evening. And he said, as luck would have it, I'm in a band, and we've played fundraisers, and I'd be very happy to be that band. Uh, but it, it, with, with that offer and with every other offer that Tim has made to me, he's, it's, you know, the offer is extended, but there's absolutely no pressure to um to for me to take him up on the offer but i mean for me it was a no-brainer uh he also has run fundraisers at the hard rock cafe so he had a contact there we very quickly got in touch with them he really wanted me to see the facility because the second floor of hard rock is a very cool uh, music venue uh real shame that it's closing down yeah it's uh, soon to be the two weeks after cafe. yeah two weeks after our event uh, we're on the 6th and and they're closing down on may 22nd mm. Um, they're very generous towards Tim and they've, you know, given him the space for previous events and they liked our idea and we're willing to kind of do the same this time around. And, and we, you know, at that time they book about six months in advance and that would have put us like in the middle of the winter. And we said, no, no, we don't want a winter date. We don't want any weather issues. And we landed on May 6th. So it gave us a lot of time to, to plan, um, so from the one connection from Mike Jansen to Tim Huff, I had a band, I had a venue, I had a date. Like the th the, some of the foundational pieces were really in place. And I had a real supporter in Tim um, 
and throughout the and my commitment to him was that I was going to plan and execute this event with very little work on his part. He's worked for 30 years with the homeless. He's raised every penny that he's needed to support the work he's done and to support his family. Um, and this is not going to, you know, throw a huge sum of money his way. But I, I wanted to, I wanted it to be, you know, very little work on his part, and and that and there'll be some some money going towards his charity, the Compassion Series, um, as a result of it. So we decided we'll, you know, kind of split the proceeds between his ongoing work through Compassion Series, and to help me launch Harmonies for Hope, the music program that I'm that I'm launching to take music to the homeless. Um, so it was just amazing how it started to fall into place. Um, with May 6th as the date, I, in my head, I had, I kind of already built my team without telling any of them. And then I, I reached out to them. At one point I was, oh, I'm going to wait till the summer's over and sort of new routines have started. And then I, I kind of missed that opportunity for one reason or another. Uh, and I really, I reached out to them over Christmas. Um, and I said, let's, I, I'd like to meet as a team first thing in the new year and give ourselves kind of four months, give or take to plan this event and pull it off. And, um, about two thirds of the people that I had in mind, they were willing participants and, um, uh, you know, no one was against the idea. People had other personal reasons and you know, babies being born and things like that, that would make it hard for them to commit. So I, I totally understood even the ones who said no have, they've, they've probably done more than I, more than they might have done uh, had they formally been a part of my team in it just in other ways and, and kind of more on their own time and on their own schedule so it's been it's been amazing um, the support that I've received from some friends and former colleagues and, and things like that and um, yeah I mean it's now less than three weeks away and you know we're down to the really tactical things like you know how exactly is a silent auction going to be administered and how are we going to lay out the tables and how do we set a value on a prize for a starting bid and how are we going to, you know, it's, we're, we're down to those little, little things. And, and it's amazing that it's, that it's that close and feels, I don't want to jinx it, but it feels like things are heading in the right direction. I'm not, I'm not going to say that everything's under control because I'd be lying to you. <laughs> I've been a bit of a delinquent leader with my team. Uh, you know, I've been, I focus a lot of my energy on this late at night. Obviously, I've got a day job that I that I need to um, continue to pay attention to, um, and when it's late at night, it's not a great opportunity to pick up the phone and call someone or to have a group call or whatever. So it's a lot of like late night emails to the team, and um, I probably haven't enabled us to collaborate enough. And actually, as we sit here speaking right now, it's probably been two or three weeks since we had any kind of like group like i mean i i'm kind of running with different things and tasks and up and updating or bouncing ideas off of one person here and there with a quick text while i'm sitting on the streetcar or whatever but not really stopping and getting everyone back on the same page um so that needs to happen soon it's been an interesting kind of learning experience in in terms of organizing an event it's a it's a pretty big undertaking um, and I've got a pretty busy life that I'm trying to squeeze it into. And the team respects that and have been pretty, like, no one's kind of been, I'm not getting texts like, Rob, what's like, what's going on? We're in the dark. Like, we're, we're, I, I hope they're still feeling engaged. And uh, I think 
the end of the day, they're they're really excited about um, the purpose of the whole thing, um, and hopefully that's allowing them to overlook my uh, subpar leadership. Well, I, yeah. I've been down that same kind of road trying to put together something when you've never done it before, yeah. and, and it's it's an extremely uh, interesting challenge because there's nobody to guide you through that mm-hmm. path. Every mm-hmm. every sort of setup is different, and everybody's intentions are different. Yeah. And, and and you're asking other people to help, yeah. and those people have their own lives and their own yeah. intentions. So it really is a, a challenge to try and and sort that through. And I, mm-hmm. I I had no idea what I was getting into when I started what I'm working on. So uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, had I known, I might have been scared off. Um, but uh, but as with you, you know, you meet one person and that person puts you on to someone else. Yeah. Or, uh, you know that idea gets out there, and other people start saying, "Hey, that's a really great idea. What yeah. is it that I can that that I can do to help?" Yeah. Um, and eventually, it sort of, you know, lumbers on towards you know mm-hmm. success uh, yeah. as, as one hopes. Um, so I can and see how challenging that is. That's been the most encouraging part. Is just the, you know, most people when they hear the idea for the first time, they've had such a positive reaction, and it's just really encouraging. Um, I'm not going to be dramatic and say that I've had moments where I'm like, oh, what am I doing? And I like, this is just too much. Like it has, it's, it's never felt that way, but you know, there, there have definitely been just some tougher moments, decisions to be made. Uh, I had a pretty difficult conversation with one of the homeless musicians who I hoped would be participating. And for a few reasons it became complicated and I kind of had to tell him that I don't think there's a fit for this particular event and he was pretty unhappy and you know that kind of thing is discouraging and, and not the fun part of planning this whole thing but man the number of positive reactions I've had and the and the you know genuine that's a great idea and the genuine how can I help the number of people who literally from the first time they heard it just said anything I can do to help just let me know um, and I've you know I've reached out to a lot of people one of the interesting learnings, though, in terms of reaching out for help, you know, I'm, as you know from us working together in the past, I'm a career sales guy. Um, part of my job is being paid to ask for the deal and ask for the signature on the contract so that our company makes money and I get a cut of that. Um, so I think I'm pretty good at that in my day job. Um, but this is so personal to me, what I'm trying to do. I thought it would be, I thought I'd be amazing at like approaching, you know, friends of friends or even just random businesses. And here's my idea. Like I, I know how to give a 30 second sales pitch. I think pretty well. Um, I've thought it through with respect to harmonies for hope. Um, here's my idea. Here's what I'm doing. And, and can you help? Like, would you be willing to donate something to the silent auction or whatever? And it's amazing how I've struggled with that conversation on multiple occasions because it's I guess in a work sense I'm able to kind of detach emotionally from it and it's harder in this uh, in this initiative it's I'm very passionate about this um, and that in and of itself has been an interesting journey like how passionate I felt about it because it's kind of something that just snuck up on me I went out to busk because I was fascinated with busking and I just love to play guitar, love to play guitar at home, love to play guitar at church or in any environment. It was just another excuse to play guitar and a few steps along the way and things that we that I've sort of talked through already, 
and I just couldn't ignore the draw towards, um, you know, forming this initiative, Harmonies for Hope, and, and running this fundraiser to help get it off the ground. And, um, you know, who knows where it'll go from May 6th forward. And, um, but it's been, it's been impossible to ignore it. It's been a, it's been a big part of, of my, you know, my thoughts and my not, not a big enough part of my time for me to feel on top of it. Um, cause I just don't have probably enough time to really commit to it, but, um, you know, squeezing it into those windows of, of time, as I said, typically late at night and early in the morning when my dog wakes me up early and instead of feeling bitter about it, I kind of go, okay, I can I have maybe half an hour here to fire off a couple more emails. Yeah. And not interfere with work. So tell me about the, uh, the May 6th, uh, gig anyway, what, what, what is the, uh, what's the setup? What, yeah. uh, what's going on? Who's playing? So it's pretty simple and it's a reasonable, um, facsimile of my original idea. So when I approached him and he said, you need to have a band to anchor it and I'd be happy to be that band, that like, boom, that fell into place right there. And then Tim kind of turned it around on me and he said, so, you know, we'll play last. Why don't you have some of your homeless friends play in the middle? And then he said, look, this is your show, man. This is your idea and you're a musician. And I'm pretty uncomfortable with that word because I don't really consider myself a musician. You're a musician. You start the show with a few songs some of your favorites from your your busking times on the street. Um, so that's kind of the musical lineup. Um, and we're going to be running a silent auction through the night. Um, that's been another amazing experience is kind of getting the... Um, it hasn't all been, you know, me going out to people that I know or I mean, my team has reached out to people and then other people along the way have said, hey, you should connect with this person and this person. And... Um, you know, it's been it's been amazing seeing some people who don't know me at all, um, but they've kind of rallied behind this idea. And uh, you know, we've got, I mean, Ticketmaster as an example through a connection, a, a person that I was introduced to who I didn't know, and then they reached out to Ticketmaster. Um, you know, they've stepped up with two tickets in their suite to Neil Diamond, yeah. which is exciting for a certain demographic. Yeah. And then I I think one level more exciting. Uh, two tickets in their suite to Bob Dylan. Oh wow! Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and and ironic because um, a lot of people don't know the history of the Hard Rock Cafe, and as it's sort of coming to a close, the history is resurfacing a little bit. And um, Hard Rock sits in a location that used to be Friars Tavern uh, back in the '60s and '70s, I think. And I believe it was the late '60s where Bob Dylan first went to Friars Tavern because someone told him you have to hear these musicians. Um, they were called the Hawks at the time and uh, he loved them and they ended up touring with him um, and, it, and they went they toured as Bob Dylan and the band um, and that helped and, th and then I, I don't really know the circumstances of, of when they stopped touring with him and kind of went out on their own I don't know if it was done in a positive or a negative way but at some point they stopped touring with him they went out on their own and they go what are we going to call ourselves and they're like we'll just, we'll just call ourselves the band and I mean I would hope that most people know <laughs> who the band is. Uh, so the fact that Bob Dylan is really tied into the history of the venue, and there's actually a pretty big exhibit in their entrance that's dedicated to that um, piece of history. And then the fact that Ticketmaster 
I don't think intentionally, I don't think they were like, oh, this is a hard rock and hard rock's connected to Bob Dylan. I think they were just like, this is a great show that's coming through this summer and we think this is a good cause. So we're very fortunate. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other cool prizes in the auction too. So it's, um, I'm excited. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's, and uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm also quite nervous to play um, because, you know, as a busker, you're out on the street. There's a lot of background noise. I don't play with any amplification when I busk. Uh, most people, probably 95% of people just walk past and hear a tiny slice of what you're playing. Um, and, you know, here I am in two and a half weeks, I'm going to be at the Hard Rock and they've got a great sound system and they got a sound guy whose job is to make sure that people can hear me and they're going to hear everything. I don't think that everyone's going to drop what they're doing and turn and stare at me and pay full attention, but uh, there's not really going to be anywhere to hide. So, you know, I'm going to stick to um, <clears throat> five or six songs that are really right in my sweet spot. Uh, I know them well. I think the vocal range is, is reasonable that, you know, when it's amplified and everything can be heard, I won't be kind of stretching myself too much and causing cringes amongst the audience. Um, for the most part, I'm really looking forward, to, I mean, and to... And when Tim said it to me at the time, he said, when else are you going to get to play the Hard Rock Cafe? It was kind of prophetic of him <laughs> to have said that because literally, when else am I going to have a chance to play the Hard Rock Cafe? They're closing two weeks after our show. Yeah, that's um, really the end. Yeah, so, yeah, kind of a little, I mean, I was going to say a bucket list item, but it was never really on my bucket list to play at the Hard Rock Cafe, but it's amazing it might how be on some people's bucket on. lists and I'm going to have the privilege to play a few songs. Yeah. That's wonderful. So... It's sort of, I'm not sure if I've answered your question. I think I have maybe backwards. Tim's band is going to play last. I'm going to play first. That was Tim's suggestion. And then it looks like uh, while I'm playing, I'm going to be joined by one of my homeless friends to do a bit of backup vocal on maybe one or two songs. Uh, and then uh, there's potentially one other who might join me. Um, not really sure. And I kind of have to take the approach of take it as it comes but I think I have a pretty solid commitment from uh, another individual who I'm, I met because he was busking and I stopped and chatted with him and we and I bumped into him a few more times and we exchanged email addresses and have, and I and the very first time I bumped into him I already had this idea like the really early days of it and I kind of threw it out at him and I, like, I'd love to have someone like you play because he's very talented and he's very um, like it's simple. It's 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 just him, and he'll he'll put on a good show, and it's not complicated in terms of like trying to piece together a group of people or anything like that. And hope that everyone shows up. Um, so he, you know, kind of five or six songs for me, five or six songs for him. I'll be joined by a couple of people, and then uh, Tim's band is called Outrider, and I've actually never heard them live, but I because I have. And I, I mean, I just got to meet Tim because I had this idea, so I don't have much history with him, but I happen to have a number of common friends with him and most of them have heard Outrider and everyone's just like, those guys are amazing. Like they're going to put on a great show. And apparently Tim's got a ridiculously strong voice, kind of like people have said, oh, you know, like Journey, Steve Perry uh, can really hit those high notes and, and, you know, lay it out there on those classic rock favorites. So if nothing else, it's going to be a really fun night of more or less classic rock music. 
Um, you know, hopefully a bunch of friends and family there. Pretty much, you know, I think 90% or more of the people there will be in some way directly connected to Tim or myself or maybe members of my team who've helped spread the word. Um, it's going to be a fun night, raise money for two good causes. And um, the other thing is part of the part of the intent of trying to get some talented homeless musicians to play is I want to kind of give them, and again, it, as I've approached people, if, if they're not interested and if they don't see it as a thrill, that's fine. But I kind of want to give them the thrill of like standing up in front of an audience and playing. But more importantly, I want to, I want the audience, like if nothing else, I want the audience to leave there kind of like, wow, like that guy's got a real talent and that guy's got a real story. Some of, some of their story will come out over the course of the night. Um, and I want them to, you know, I would consider it a success if everyone who walked out of there, the next time they walked past a homeless person, they, you know, and by the way, I think a lot of the people there are very compassionate towards the homeless. So it's not like I'm trying to dramatically change people's point of view, but just to kind of maybe give a second thought and go, I have no idea what talent that guy might have. He might also be a great musician. He might be a poet. He might be this. He might be that. Instead of just seeing them as kind of a a person sitting on the street asking for money. Um, so loved the idea of having the chance to kind of humanize it's only going to be a small handful of people who are actually there at the event, but if that perception can be kind of broadened, um, it'd be amazing. So where can people get information about this and uh, how do you get tickets? So uh, the easiest place to go is the website for Harmonies for Hope. Um, <clears throat> even though we're raising funds for two charities, um, Harmonies for Hope is probably the best place to go. So harmonies, the number four, hope.org. Um, there's an event page on there, which only talks about our May 6th event, which is actually called Rock for Compassion. Um, that event page then has a link to Eventbrite uh, where tickets can be purchased ahead of time. Um, assuming we don't sell out ahead of time, which is a pretty safe bet, uh, tickets will then also be available at the door. Uh, doors open at 7.30, music starts at 8. Um, we're kind of looking at like three hours of music with a couple of little breaks and transitions between musicians. Um, another, uh, there's a Facebook event page. Uh, it's a public event page called Rock for Compassion. Uh, if you don't go through Harmonies for Hope website or the Facebook event page, you can go excuse me, straight to Eventbrite and search Rock for Compassion. Um, so there's a few ways. Yeah. And it's not horribly expensive. We're not talking $100 tickets here. No, good. Yeah, about. thanks for asking. I mean, we're selling tickets for $15 in advance. Wow. <clears throat> and then we're doing suggested donation, $20 at the door um, the night of the show. And part of the intent of suggested donation is that, um, you know, given the theme of the event uh, and the fact that, um, you know, Tim and I and, and a lot of people there, myself more recently, but a lot of people there have, you know, friends who are street involved and homeless and 
may not have $20 to drop on an event and we just want to make sure there's no barrier to anyone coming in. Um, and, you know, some of the musicians who are going to perform, if they have people that they want to involve and bring, we just want to make sure, like, we're not there to make a big profit. I mean, wh- whatever we make is going to a good cause. If, if a bunch of people come in who can't afford $20, it, we're not going to be looking at it like, oh, there's 10 people who came in and it could have been $200. We're going to be looking at it as amazing. So glad those people came and took part in this and, and uh, the money that we make will will go to good causes, regardless of how much it is. Do you take uh, any other types of donations? Are you looking for gear? Are you looking for, uh, you know, <clears throat> volunteers? Good point. Good, good, good questions. So um, I've also set up a GoFundMe page, which I haven't promoted a ton. I'll probably hype it at the event. And then afterwards, I'm kind of focusing more on the event, kind of raising the initial money just from the people walking through the door in the silent auction. So also under GoFundMe, you could search for Harmonies for Hope, or you find it the donate page on the harmonies for hope website um yeah i mean donations of gear and equipment would be fantastic because um you know if i had a stroke of luck and got a whole full set of equipment donated to me i would actually be in a position where i'm not sure i would know exactly what to do with the money that i raise um but i i don't think that's going to be the case and I, i think there there'll be the money will be put to good use um one way or another uh, and volunteers, um, <clears throat> it's funny, as I start to think about May 6th and the number of little things that need to be done, um, yeah, I've got a great team in place and we've got a few people who aren't part of the core team but have offered to help in different ways. But um, yeah, I mean, any, anyone interested in volunteering the night of the event, I'm sure we can find things for them to do. And, and um, I, I guess the best way to get in touch would also be harmoniesforhope.org. Again, that's harmonies the number four hope.org and there's a contact page which has a gmail address that comes to me what kind of gear are you looking for are you looking for instruments are you looking for you know sound equipment microphones yeah i mean i kind of envision a couple of guitars a couple of mics um basic percussion that's portable cajones bongo drums tambourines um i'm torn on a keyboard because I have to balance like putting a great set of equipment together with being able like making it portable in some fashion. Um, A keyboard could maybe be the tipping point between portable and not portable or not. Um, And some kind of sound board, which I'm, I know so little about sound. I've, you know, thinking about my busking and potentially amplifying myself, I was looking at these really basic sound systems where you can plug in, you have two inputs, one for a guitar, one for a mic. Be great. I could amplify myself out on the street, get above some of the background noise if I want to take that risk. Um, but that wouldn't work for a, you know, for a, a jam session with more than two people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some basic soundboard, couple speakers or one speaker. It's a, a little bit undetermined at this point. Um, I've had some advice from different people on what I should get. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, there's great music stores around the city where I would also get good advice. And I have a, a, a lead on one of the stores potentially, you know, giving advantageous pricing on, on some equipment, which would be great. Yeah. That's excellent. Everything helps. Yeah. Yeah. Great to hear it. Mm -hmm. 
Rob, thanks so much for uh, for talking about your experience and uh, and and where you're going with it. I think it's really important. I have a, a tie into this in multiple ways, yeah. but uh, as as you and I both know, I like to be in the background quite often. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I I was uh, I was quite uh, quite fascinated and and uh, and moved by uh, your story when you told me about it mm-hmm. you know, a couple of months ago when we yeah, got together it. about yeah. it. Um, so thanks for sharing it with everybody else, and uh, I look pleasure. forward to seeing you on, uh, on May 6th up on stage, buddy. It's going to yeah. be great. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm mostly excited. So yeah. Well, you'll have a lot of support yeah. in the audience, I'm sure. So it's, uh, I think it's going to be a great experience. Yeah, I hope so. And thanks for the time today. I mean, I, it's, I love telling the story, and uh, uh, like I said, I'm really passionate about it, and, and happy to have more people hear about it. So Amazing. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's going to be great. Tim. Thanks, Rob. To learn more about Rob Dixon and Harmonies for Hope, please visit his website at harmoniesforhope.org. That's with the number four. Find him and the organization on Facebook or follow Harmonies for Hope on Twitter at Harmonies for Hope, once again with the number four. For more information on the New Shores Project, please check out newshoresproject.org or at New Shores Music on both Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Cadenza podcast, Sounds Edition. Cadenza features conversations with musicians, producers, educators, and artists who are passionate about sharing their stories of shaping new sounds, experiences, and ideas. Look for new episodes including the Scenes Edition, a video podcast companion, and the live special editions featuring performances from notable artists. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again.